0: This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand on Air. To find more local content, go to our website, accessradiotaranaki.com. Hi, I'm Angela Solomons. I'm the education coordinator with Taranaki Community Law, and I am the law lady. I'm bringing you the legal information you need to know.
1: Well, it's all
0: Kia ora koutou katoa and today we are going to talk a bit more about the principles of Te Te o Waitangi and specifically about where the principles themselves come in. So last time I talked a little bit about uh, Te Te o Waitangi itself and the developments in the 19th century and why it's not automatically part of our law and this time we're going to talk a little bit about how the principles arise and where they come from. So, as always, the show is only general information, and your specific circumstances may be different. If you'd like some specific advice, you can give Taranaki Community Law a call on 0800 529. Eight seven eight, or you can contact your own lawyer. The information on my show isn't meant to replace individual advice from a lawyer and the opinions that I share are my own. They're not necessarily the opinions of Taranaki Community Law or of Access Radio Taranaki. Uh, We would like to hear from you, so if you do have anything to share about this or any of my previous shows, you can post on the Taranaki Community Law Facebook page. I have put some links up there with some further information and I'll do so again after this show and we're also on Instagram and on TikTok. All right. Uh, so as I said, we talked last time about Te Tiriti te o Waitangi itself and and how this fits together into the legal landscape of Aotearoa. This time we're going to talk a little bit about the principles because this is what people are talking about. The principles of the treaty. Where do these come from? What are they? What do they mean? What are we doing? For this, we have to go back in time, but not as far back, so I'm not going to use my flashback noise this time. We're going back to the 1970s, Um, again, this show is still a once over lightly of our legal history, and it's mostly just the legal stuff, not about some of the other things. But the 1970s are a time of pretty substantial political change. There's a lot of movements kind of coming through. Um, you've got the urban drift of people who were predominantly rural moving into um, our cities and towns, and this specifically affects Māori, who up until this point in the 1960s Um, were predominantly rural. And so you start to see a real change in the demographics in our cities and towns. You start to have movements like the feminist movement, um, anti-apartheid, gay law reform is just on the horizon, coming in the early 1980s. You've got all of that kind of anti-Vietnam sentiment. You've got all of that kind of stuff happening in and around this time. And so as part of this you start to get more awareness from Pākehā New Zealanders about the ways in which Māori have been disenfranchised. Uh, now, to be clear, Māori have been talking and fighting this fight forever. Okay, So this is not new for them. It is new, however, for Pākehā New Zealanders. Um, and a really cynical interpretation of this time would be that um, they can afford to be generous and sympathetic and liberal in their views um, because Māori are no longer a uh, real threat to uh, New Zealand society. They've been so disenfranchised um, from whenua, from te kanga, and from bereo that they're no longer actually going to significantly disrupt Pākehā society. Now, that's a very cynical interpretation. There are others as well, of course. And so into this kind of political landscape comes the Treaty of Waitangi Act. And this is very important to our legal history. So this is in 1975. The Treaty of Waitangi Act establishes the Waitangi Tribunal, which is a tribunal that can initially, when this is made in 1975 can look at contemporary breaches of Te Tiriti o Waitangi and make recommendations based on that. The Waitangi Tribunal cannot force the government to do anything, they don't have that power, but they make recommendations with their reports. And initially they can only do that for contemporary breaches, breaches that are happening from 1975 onwards. And to be clear... Over the course of the 20th century, there were lots of breaches of the English version as well as of the Te Reo Māori version. So successive governments breached the treaty in lots of ways throughout the 20th century. There is no argument that they stuck to the one of them and not the other. They didn't stick to any of them. And I talked in my show last time about how for a long time they just didn't need to. So this Treaty of Waitangi Act... um, creates the tribunal, sets a mechanism through which Māori can make um, recommendations and can point out where there are breaches of the Treaty of Waitangi. And then, in 1985, the Treaty of Waitangi Act is amended, so it's changed, and this enables the Waitangi Tribunal to look at historical breaches of Te Tiriti o Waitangi and this is a significant moment for how we view Te Tiriti o Waitangi in Aotearoa, what it means for us as a document and for um, successive governments. So it's at this point 1985 that they can start to look back at historical breaches, that is anything from 1840 onwards and um, can start to make recommendations to the Crown about redress, about getting things back. And this turns out to be super important for what are called the principles of the Treaty. At the same time, or at nearly the same time, we have what's called the State-Owned Enterprises Act, which is passed in 1986 it doesn't seem like there's going to be much crossover between these two things, but there is. And so as part of this, in 1986, the government is in the midst of what is known here in Aotearoa as Rogernomics, and it's a kind of programme. It's not unique to New Zealand. Lots of other countries do this at around the same time, where governments start to kind of divest themselves of um, their responsibilities or their ownership of various things, uh, like the railways and TV and um, power generation, etc, etc. And the theory is that they will be placed in company-like structures rather than being run by a government department and this will increase competition and make everybody's lives better in the long run. And So this is the kind of program of work that um, was known as the Fourth Labour Government set out to do, to kind of semi-privatise the things that the government were previously doing. They're still owned by the state. That's why they're called a state-owned enterprise. But they operate in a commercial kind of way. So if you think about things like Kiwi Rail um, or TVNZ, this is kind of where they come from in this time period. The reason that this intersects with Māori um, issues is that, under the uh, Treaty of Waitangi Act, Māori can seek redress, they can seek to get pieces of land back. But, this land must be held by the Crown. And so, we start to see a little bit of a problem if this land is passed to state-owned enterprises. So we're going to break for our first song. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about how these two things kind of intersect and the legal consequence of this, um, because it results in a really important um, court case. And our first song today is by Catchafire, and this is Few".
1: Kāpōkea, <tabu-ke-a> kua tātahemo, ono i ki tāku aku. Au te roa e te tau, mama te aroa, e te rongo aiwi karanga. Kia kahara, ko tēna, kara whiua e makiau. I nā te mihi, i mori mori, no I'm not a girl, 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 I'm i am not a girl i am papa, onge. kinate hap few mori mori
0: My Anoakey, the law lady on Access Radio 104.4 FM, and we're talking about the principles of Treaty te te of Waitangi and how these kind of come to be. And um, they, there's a convergence between the Treaty of Waitangi Act, which was amended in 1985, and the State Owned Enterprises Act from 1986. And as I said just before the break, uh, Maori want the opportunity to get their land back. And in order for that to happen, the land needs to be still in crown ownership. So the, the government or the state of Aotearoa, of New Zealand, needs to still own the land. If land has been wrongly taken from Māori, and there are lots and lots of examples of this, but that land has subsequently been sold to private individuals then um, although Māori could get money as a result of you know, the redress, they can't get those specific parcels of land returned to them through any kind of um, Waitangi Tribunal report. So at this point in time, 1986-1987, um, it's not really clear exactly how this process of redress will actually work, right? the Waitangi Tribunal have only been able to look at historical claims since 1985. They haven't had any kind of really resolved or even it's not even clear what their reporting or recommendations will mean in terms of how governments manage it. So we're at a very early stage of this process. And there's a real risk that um, a lot of land will be transferred from the Crown into these various state-owned enterprises, and in that transference will mean that Māori will no longer be able to claim those pieces of land back. And these are really substantial amounts of land, right, because the government owns heaps of it, and they are transferring large chunks of it into these state-owned enterprises. As well as that, once a state-owned enterprise owns a piece of land, they can do with that whatever they want because they're running these state-owned enterprises like companies. So they might decide that it's not worth keeping a piece of land and sell it off. And again, this is a real problem if this piece of land is something that Māori would like to claim back. So because of this, um, there is a group called the Māori Council, and the Māori Council take a case to court. And in 1987, this case is decided by the Court of Appeal, which at the time is the highest court in New Zealand. So we have a what's called a precedent-setting decision by the highest court. So they are in charge. Everything they say applies to all other courts in Aotearoa. So the Māori Council take a case And it goes to the Court of Appeal, and they take their case on the basis of Section 9 of the State-Owned Enterprises Act. And the Māori Council case is one of the most important legal cases we have when it comes to kind of constitutional stuff. It's really, really important. Under Section 9, Section 9 of the State-Owned Enterprises Act says that nothing shall permit the Crown to act in a manner inconsistent with the principles... Of the Treaty of Waitangi. I want to do a little drum roll. Um, this is it, right? We have a section of law that specifically says that the Crown has to act consistently with the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. This is where all of this kind of stuff going forwards from 1987 onwards comes from. It all comes from this section of the Act, and specifically this court case. So what happens is the Māori Council take a case arguing that if land is transferred from the Crown to state-owned enterprises without any recognition of the fact that they might need to be returned, that this is the Crown acting in a manner which is inconsistent with the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. So that's it. This is where we find out. And so in order to work out whether or not the transfer of land will be consistent or not, the Court of Appeal have to figure out what the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi actually are. And so in 1987, when this case comes before them, that's exactly what they do. They go through and work out what they think the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi are. And because this is the highest court in New Zealand, any other legal decision that gets made after this point has to take these principles into account, if that's in the law. So I'll break for our second song, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about what the principles were in 1987 and kind of what they mean now. And our second song today uh, is... Oh, I'm not sure. Hang on. I can't remember. Give me a second. The second song today is by Rob Ruha and this is That's Where I'll Be. my Lady on Access Radio 104.4 FM, and today we have been talking about the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi and where these come from legally. So they come from the Māori Council case in 1987, in which the Court of Appeal, um, in order to work out whether or not the Crown has breached the principles of the Treaty by transferring land to state-owned enterprises, they have to work out what the principles actually are. And this is a case of kind of two steps forward, one step back. Uh, the courts decide that there are a bunch of principles, and they are that the um, British Crown did get sovereignty in exchange um, for protection of Rangatiratanga. Uh, again, this is what the courts have decided. Uh, the treaty established a partnership and imposed on the partners the duty to act reasonably and in good faith. Uh, the Treaty established the freedom of the Crown to govern, that the, Crown's had, the Crown had a duty of active protection of Māori, that the duty of the Crown is to remedy past breaches, and that Māori are to retain rangatiratanga over their resources in Tonga and have all citizenship privileges, and finally that there is a duty to consult between the Crown and Māori. These are the principles of Te Tiriti o Waitangi as established by the Court of Appeal in the Māori Council case. They then go on to look at whether or not it would breach these principles if the land is transferred, basically as is, and the answer is yes. And so various steps are put in place to ensure that where land is transferred, and a lot of it is, um, there's recognition that this land might need to be returned to Māori as part of a treaty process. So it's a great one for the Māori Council. Excellent. Really important piece of law. This is the first time we get a recognition or articulation of what the principles of Te Tiriti Te O Waitangi actually are, and then we continue to get sort of further refinement over time by different court decisions and by um, reports that the Waitangi Tribunal put out. Now, the Waitangi Tribunal can put out um, what they think the principles are, which sometimes can be a bit different, because they actually have the text of both the English and Te Reo Māori versions of Te Tiriti o Waitangi in their Act. So sometimes what the Waitangi Tribunal thinks the principles are might differ a little bit from some other stuff. As well as that, there are a number of other pieces of law that make references to the principles. So if a piece of law references the principles of Te Tiriti o Waitangi, then those are the principles that need to be taken into account whenever any decision is made under that piece of law. So it's quite important. Um, Since 1987, the principles have been kind of um, defined by three kind of main ones, which is uh, principles of partnership, protection and participation. So those are the three kind of main headings on which the principles sit. And as I said, there's a number of pieces of kind of legal stuff that have further refined these. So these are what the principles are currently based on nearly 40 years of court decisions and reports and things. These are the things that David Seymour's bill wants to change. And the reason this matters is that a number of other pieces of law reference those principles. So if those principles change then what those other pieces of law have to take into account would then also change. So it does make a difference to the way in which some other pieces of law might be interpreted. So when we uh, talk next time, I'll talk a little bit more about what the new principles are that David Seymour thinks might be principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. It's not clear whether they are actually uh, in the treat of watching itself, or not. But otherwise, kaukura ho a te well, right. well, This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki, with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com.